Good Samaritan and Build Your House Upon the Rock are stories that present divine morals for daily living. Join us as we discover God's truth through the stories in Luke. Hey, good morning. Welcome, everyone. We are in this series, The Moral of the Story. And so if you're just joining us, or if you've missed a few weeks, you can catch up online on the website. But uh, we are looking at the Gospels in Luke uh, that Jesus uses to explain the kingdom of God. And so he uses this, uh, these parables. So parables are... They're earthly stories, stories that we can relate with with in everyday life that have a heavenly meaning, a divine truth attached to them so that we can remember them and process it. And Jesus uses this method of parables uh, so that we might grasp what it means to be part of the kingdom of God and how we live. Um, Have have you ever seen one of these? It's a welcome mat, right? And it's welcome is worn out. Is that right? Oh, yeah, okay. It's going to be a rough crowd today. <laughs> All right, so, so anyway, I have seen mats like this in places like my mom's house. My mom is a great hostess. I mean, uh, she doesn't host as much as she used to, but um, there was a time as a child that I remember my mom and dad having people from all over the world, from all types of walks of life, come and sit at our dinner table. And, uh, and so this is a type of mat that uh, sits outside my mom's house. I've also seen a mat very similar to this uh, at one of our elders' houses uh, who would uh, have people come over and, and fellowship, and, uh, and, and the mat gets worn out because there's so many evi- invitees taking up on the invitation, and they're coming in, and they're sitting at the table. I've seen these type of mats outside of small group leaders' homes. Because uh, they just do a great job of hosting and making pe- people feel welcome. And their table is rich and full of conversation and life. Uh, it's, it's important because there's a lot that happens at the table. Life happens at the table. And so some of the most tra- transformative moments that I can think of in my life have happened at the dinner table. Uh, there's a lot that goes on. We get to know people really well at a dinner table. We, we begin to share life and stories and, and transparency. Come, we begin to feel like we belong, right? I belong here. I belong to this, this, this community. I belong to this group of people. At the table, people share needs. And uh, they, they share like struggles they're going through. I, I've I've heard conversations about people moving or car broke down or people in need of money. And, and at that table, a strategy is developed to uh, uh, meet that need. Um, people share food at the table, which is my favorite parts, right? So at our small group gathering, it's one of the biggest meals I have every week. And I get bigger at the table, right? You know, I mean, it's cool when we're sharing uh, great food. You know, discipleship is hard work. So some of you may not understand that jargon, uh, that word, discipleship, but 
It means that we're trying to help people learn what it means to follow Jesus. That's the process of discipleship. As we live out following Jesus, they're watching us, listening to us, and they're doing the same. Well, that's hard work. And one guy said, uh, making disciples is hard work, but good food makes it more palatable. I like that. That's a good quote. Good quote. Um, Jesus, he explains himself a lot at the table. There's a lot of conversation about the kingdom, about who he is and what it means to follow him that takes place at the dinner table. As a matter of fact, after his resurrection from the dead, he goes to uh, set the table for one of his dearest friends here on earth, Peter. You see, Peter had betrayed Jesus and had denied that he knew him. But after the cross and after his resurrection, he goes to where Peter is, which is the Sea of Galilee. Peter went back to work, and he's out fishing, and Jesus fixes breakfast and invites him to come to the breakfast table. There's another event that happens after the resurrection that there are two very dismayed and distraught disciples of Jesus. They don't understand why he died on a cross, and Jesus veils his identity as he meets them on the road to Emmaus. And then when they invite him into their home, they have a brunch set up and Jesus reveals his identity at the table. You see, life happens around the table. And so part of your life is being, you know, unfolding right now around this table, around the Lord's table. Like, it's significant, the events that take place. And so... Uh, each one of us come together around a table. Don't, wouldn't you like to eat at this table? It's some hobbit's home, right? I like hobbit's home because I'd be like a giant in there, right? I'd be like a big guy. But anyway, we have, uh, have all this great food and, you know, pass me a leg of whatever that's on there, you know, a leg of everything. And uh, just like gorge ourselves with great food and, and, and fellowship. And so uh, at the table, there's, there's a lot that takes place. And Jesus uh, is going to tell three parables in chapter 14 of Luke. We're only going to look at one of those. But uh, there's a major uh, Pharisee, very prominent Pharisee. So if you're new to this word, Pharisee, um, they were religious leaders of the Jews, and some of them became very prominent leaders in the Jewish community, very respected. Um, uh, they, they held a lot of power. And so uh, one of these Pharisees invites Jesus to his table. Uh, And so when Jesus arrives, uh, he notices that some of the guests are arriving and they're trying to sit as close as they can to the host, the prominent Pharisee. And so Jesus tells the first parable in this chapter, uh, about beginning in verse 7, I think 7 to 12, and he says, hey, when you come to the table... Don't try to exalt yourself and sit at the place of prominence. In this, at this table, in this picture, it would be at the end, right? The head of the table. But in that day, it was sitting as close to the host as you could. And he says, don't try that. Sit at the lesser place. You know, sit at the place of, that nobody knows. You know, sit in the kitchen, so to speak, maybe we would say, right? And then he tells another parable. Uh, and this one's directed to the host, to the leading Pharisee the one who's put on this, this great meal. And he says, uh, <clears throat> here's what you need to do. When you have a great banquet set, go invite people who could never repay you. Go invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Go invite those people. Because you see, 
in that day of time, much like in this day and time, people have great parties and great banquets and great gatherings to build social connections, to establish themselves in someone else, other person's life who will help them in a, in a business connection or, or, or some advancement. And so actually the, the host might be trying to gain an advantage over the guest. And so Jesus says, don't do that. Invite people who can never repay you. Invite those people to your party. Well, one of the guests sitting there is just blown away at Jesus' teachings. And, and he makes a statement trying to ease the tension because Jesus is putting his finger in the eye of the Pharisee because he loves him. He wants him to understand that he's Messiah. And so uh, we're going to pick up the story then uh, in Luke 14, beginning in verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, another, here comes the other parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and had invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for now everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, so I must go and see it. Because that's how we buy land and houses, right? We, we buy it and then we go look at it. Uh, but excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five uh, yak of oaks, oxen, and I am on my way to, find, uh, to try them out. Please excuse me. Because that's how we buy cars and tractors is we buy them and then we go look at them, right? Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, that one might be real. All right, so the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry, and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the cripple, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads, the country lanes, Chatham, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will taste of my banquet. This is God's word, his revelation for us this morning, and we're going to try to understand what it means and then apply it to our lives because we want to be at the banquet table, we want to be in the kingdom of God. Now, this banquet table is one of the great metaphors for the kingdom of God, right? And so we see meals, important meals throughout the Old Testament. When Abraham finds out at like 90-something that he's going to have a child, is a big banquet, you know. And, and we see another banquet uh, come about uh, at, uh, in, in, when Jesus begins his ministry, right? And and, and, he, and he makes all this beautiful wine at this great wedding celebration. And so we see some great banquets. So there's, there's this continuous line that great banquets are pointing to uh, an even greater banquet of the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. There's this great moment coming. Now, the certain man in the parable that we just read is Jesus. He's the host of the great, great banquet. And the first invitees are the Jews. Sometimes they're called Hebrews in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's called the nation of Israel. And by the time this point in history, they're called the Jews. They were the first invitees, and they're not coming. 
And so then the other people represented in this parable are the outcast Jews, Samaritans, and those who were, have maladies of certain kinds, you know, and Gentiles. And they respond to this great banquet, which is entering into the kingdom of God. And so um, the excuses, right? The excuses. One uh, bought a field, one bought an ox, oxen, and one just got married. They seem reasonable, don't they? I mean, they're not that far off. I mean, haven't you and I, haven't we excused ourselves from a birthday party or a dinner party or some, some social event for far less? I've got to organize my sock drawer tonight. You know, I, I just can't make it, right? Got a lot going on, right? Or you just wanted to rest. You just wanted to watch the game, watch the race. You just wanted to, you know, get your grass cut or, you know, whatever. I mean, we've excused ourselves from important events for far less. So is Jesus being a little harsh here? I mean, is he being a little rigid? Well, the problem with this is that we often don't understand uh, their time. And so let me explain a little bit. It's a, it's a lot like our time, actually, but... It's, it's much like uh, a couple would extend a, a wedding invitation. So the invitation to a banquet on this level would come months, maybe even a year before the event. And so the invitation is sent out. There's a response, I'm coming. And then on the day of the banquet, the host would send his servants out to the invitees to escort them back. And so the invitee would come and knock on the door and and say, the banquet is prepared, now is the time to come. And so it was almost a processional, if you will, the, that the, uh, the, the servant would lead uh, the guests back to the great banquet. But what's happened here is, in the time between the first invitation and the second invitation, life has emerged to keep people from attending the banquet. And they've allowed it. They've allowed business, they've allowed family relationships, they've allowed uh, uh, some opportunity to expand their uh, farming community or their farm or whatever. They've allowed these things to get in the way of a great invitation to a great banquet by a great king. And that's the problem. And so um, uh, in this parable, these people uh, have really offended the host. They've really uh, made a terrible decision. And, and, and so what happens is their agendas become more important than the banquet. And here's the first lesson that we want to take away from this parable. To accept the invitation to Jesus' banquet requires humility. As a matter of fact, humility is the word for all of Luke 14. After what comes before it, what comes after it. If you wanted to sum that entire chapter up in one word, it is humility. Humility is the number one characteristic that a person needs to develop in their life to have a relationship with God. Now, I want to speak to the men and the young men of this congregation. We live in an anti-humility world. When somebody tells a story about how long their boat is, you have a boat that's longer and faster. When somebody tells you that I've got... 375 horsepower engine, you've got a 425 horsepower engine. When somebody says that, uh, you know, I can, I can shoot this far, you can shoot further. 
Uh, we live in a one-upmanship type culture where everyone is braggadocious and it seems like people, you know, have to elevate themselves, you know, and show how strong they are, rich they are, powerful, how well-known they are, how good they are. You know, we live in that type of culture. Okay, that's anti-God. That's anti-Jesus. Jesus says, humble yourselves. When you come and sit down, the guests that you invite... And don't allow your agendas to get in the way of this great invitation. And so, here's a couple of thoughts about why it's such a struggle to show humility about receiving this invitation, responding to this invitation uh, to Jesus. One is that God's kingdom unfolds gradually. This kingdom is coming, but it, and it's here in part, but it's not full Right? Like we had, as our worship minister says, a miniature meal. Right? A miniature meal. And so it's just a little taste of a great banquet to come where there's bread we've never eaten before and wine we've never drank before and, and food that we, is beautiful to take. You know, like, and, and, and who knows what that event will unfold like, but it's going to be great. But we're just getting a taste of it right now, and so it requires patience. You know, patience is a virtue, my mom used to say. Uh, every parent has probably had this experience when their five-year-old is having their first birthday party, and they kind of know it's about them, and they kind of know their friends are going to come over, and they kind of know there's going to be some presents brought, right? And so it begins like this. The day begins like this. It's a fall morning, and you're lying in bed at six o'clock, fast asleep, and all of a sudden there's a child that just launches himself into your gut. And it's a very unpleasant experience, and they, what comes out of their mouth is, today is my birthday, right? Today's the day of the party, right? And you're like, yeah, today's the day of the party, right? And so, uh, well, we got to have breakfast first. Okay, we'll have breakfast. And so, you know, they're patient a little bit, and breakfast prepared. And we got to clean up the house because your friends are coming over, you know, so we got to pick up some toys and clean up the house. And they're kind of okay with that, but they keep saying, no, today's the day of the party, right? But it's not till three. And, and so then it comes like after lunch, it's nap time. Nap time for, for a birthday party. Like, <laughs> that's like torture, right? And so you're trying to convince them that they have to lay down and take a nap. And like, here's, the, here's what I'm trying to illustrate. There are things that have to happen before the party comes. There's things that have to be in place before there's the big unfolding of the event. And we're just not good with patience because God's kingdom unfolds gradually. Um, next, the entrance to the kingdom banquet comes through grace. Can't earn your way there. You can't earn your way in. You think you can. We think we can. If we can just be good enough, God will love us, right? And so... It's hard for us to get that, that, that this banquet comes through grace. Here's the thing. You can't earn your way in. You'll never be good enough to sit at this table. And here's something else. You'll never be bad enough to not have a position there. What I'm saying is there are a lot of people that exclude themselves from this table because they don't understand grace. They, don't, they, they think they're... You know, they're good enough, God will take them where they are, or they think they're so bad, they could never be there. Uh, common people sit around this table, and some people struggle with that. Common people. Um, many people, uh, 
you know, their pride or their guilt can keep them away, or they just don't want to sit beside people who are um, so very common. I think it's the second Thursday of the month that we host the special needs. Is that right? Yeah. And so each month, Cornerstone, because of your gifts and service, uh, Climbing Higher Ministry comes, and uh, what they do is they minister to people who are intellectually or physically disabled. And so on Thursday afternoon, uh, well, Thursday noon about, this parking lot will be full of uh, special needs vehicles, uh, you know, the, the buses with the lifts and all that type of thing. And, and here will come the guests uh, in for their hot dog meal or barbecue meal or whatever it is, right? And here they come. And, and so they're in wheelchairs, some of them. Some of them, uh, their aides are holding their hands and guiding them in and holding the door. And, and then they sit at the table and there's an event that's planned for them here, and they worship way better than you, way, way better, because they, they are not inhibited, baby. They get those tambourines out, and they have big tambourines and things, and they're just like, and it's just really cool to watch them worship, you know? And, uh, and so anyway, somebody's going to bring a big tambourine next Sunday, I just know it. <laughs> bring the biggest one you can find. And uh, a drum, uh, find an old high school drum, and just, yeah, it'd be great. So anyway, uh, somebody will take me up on that. Like you told me. <laughs> so uh, uh, and then they have this meal, and and so I'm watching this. You know, when this unfolds, I, I get to see this happen, and um, I'm watching some of these folks, and um, a food like is is not all in their mouth. Some of it's coming down on their shirt. There's drool sometimes because. Many of them have a real hard time eating. Their aide is trying to help them get the food from their plate to their mouth. Uh, they stink of urine sometimes. Mm-hmm. Certainly do. Um, I'm watching that unfold. And I'm thinking about this text. Because Jesus says, it's people with that type of humility that will sit at my banquet table. All the right people, all the popular people who can't humble themselves will not be at that table. The people that get all the TV time, the people that get all the air time, the people who, who, who think it's all about them and they can't humble themselves. It's not that popularity or notoriety is wrong, but if you think that's what makes you something... That's a problem. It's common people at this banquet table. And then personal agendas must submit to the kingdom banquet. So that little empire you're building in your backyard or your garage or in your checkbook or your vacation schedule or your family relationships that are so important that they supersede the kingdom of God, those are a problem. Because until you humble yourselves and submit and make this invitation, this great banquet, this kingdom priority, that's a problem. And so to reject the invitation is to reject the king. There are a lot of people that believe in God there are a lot of people who believe in God but will not submit to His Lordship. 
It, it, you, when you believe in God and submit to Him, is that's how you find entrance into the kingdom. You can't just believe. I mean, even the demons believe, James says. So reasons why many reject this invitation. Well, one is they don't understand what they've been invited to. One of my favorite uh, authors, uh, he's passed away now, Dallas Willard, uh, talks a lot about how important it is for Christians, especially Christian leaders who talk about the Bible, is to explain what following Jesus, what the kingdom is about. So Jesus is not inviting us to some more religion. A, a list of rules. Like, he's not inviting us to that. He's inviting us to a relationship. And we need to keep that priority. It's good to invite people to church, but what's even better is to invite them to know about Jesus. Can I tell you about my Jesus? Can I introduce to you something that Jesus introduced to me through this teaching? You know, like... You could take what we're talking about today and, and it could be a conversation starter, starter at work or school on Monday, right? And so a lot of people don't understand what Jesus has invited them to. Another reason is some people just don't care. They're, they're distracted by the dumbest things. They're distracted by what someone's put up on, you know, on Instagram or Facebook or another app that, I'm, you know, like, like, it's like, i got to see what's going on, rather than thinking about what's going on, right? Like, they're just so distracted. They're, they've got their own little agendas going on, and, and it keeps them from focusing in on spiritual things. Like, all they're focused on is satisfying what's going on in the flesh or their agendas. Like, that's all they can think about. Uh, another reason is that people just don't know that Jesus wants them there. And I think this is the number one. I really believe this is the number one reason why people won't come to this table and won't come to that banquet is because they don't know how much Jesus loves them. I don't know if anyone's told you today, but I want you to look directly at me. Jesus loves you. He loves you just the way you are. He loves you. Some people just don't know how much Jesus wants them there. Another favorite author, a preacher of mine, is Tim Keller. And he says one day he was walking down the streets of Philadelphia. And this guy walks up to him and he says, in a very hostile tone, he says, I'm a male prostitute, I'm a drug dealer, I'm a drug addict, and I have AIDS. What does the church have to do with me? And Keller responds, My Bible tells me you're exactly the kind of person the Father wants to sit down and eat a meal with. And that's true. See, we think we're so far gone that there's no way back. Or we're so far gone that we can't like figure out, like our lifestyle has been... I've done this for 25 years this way. You know, all my friends are like, I don't know how. You're, here's the thing. Your goneness will never overcome God's grace. You're never that far gone that God's grace can't overcome that and transform your life 
and transform your interests and your desires and your taste buds and your, your agenda like God's grace can overcome that and transform that. He loves to sit down. He loves to sit down with us and show His power in us. You don't think you can change? You don't know my God. He can transform anybody to the uttermost. And so uh, the kingdom is, it, this invitation is, is it's not for the respectable people. Although respectable people show up, that's great. I mean, there were some very notable, respectable people in Jesus' community who came and responded and believed. So I'm not saying it's just one class of people, but I'm saying that often it's hard for us to submit hum, hum, humility like before Jesus because we've got it so together in this world, right? Look at all my trophies, right? Look at all my accomplishments. Look how many people love and adore me. And Jesus says, all right, I need you to humble yourself and come to this banquet. The humble accept the invitation to meet around his table because life happens there. So here's my encouragement. Don't allow the preoccupations of this life distract you from what's most important. Shiny ball. Right? Don't, don't do that. When the shiny ball rolls across your, you know, your, your, your vision, look back at the cross. Right? Keep, keep focused on Jesus. There's a lot that can happen in our life. Job change, illness, children, grandchildren, whatever. But we have to, yeah, great-grandchildren, but we have to keep our focus on Jesus. And so, and don't allow your business or unhealthy family enmeshment. There is no last name in heaven. You got it? We bear the name of Christ. If you want to call that a last name, fine. But don't allow unhealthy family enmeshment keep you from coming to this table. It's so important. Family's good. Family's great. Support, you know, love your family. But, don't, you know, Jesus said, if you follow me, there's going to be some times where you say no to that so you can say yes to me. Um, and here's the other thing. This invitation is always open until the great host announces with a loud shout that the banquet is now beginning. And hear me clearly, God sends no one to hell. God sends no one away from Him. Here's what He does. He honors our decisions in this life. If you've, if you've rejected the invitation your whole life, why would you want to be with Him in eternity? He just honors our decisions. We want to be with Him? Come. Come in. Come on in. We don't want, I don't want anything to a church. I got this going on. I don't want anything with this kingdom building stuff. I, my money's mine. Reject, 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 reject the invitation. Reject, reject. God says, you've rejected me your whole life. I'm just going to honor that. So there's this ominous, kind of spooky ending to this parable. Where the Jews at that table know they're on the outside. And everybody that they thought wasn't going to be on the inside is on the inside. I got one more question. 
Who have we invited to this table? Literally, who have you invited to this church recently? To your home recently? To lunch this afternoon recently? And don't invite me because I'm inviting somebody else. All right? Putting it on you. Stepping on some toes. Not really. I love this church. I've never been part of a church that loves people like this church. But I think, I think we're at a point in time where our, our world needs to see it so vividly portrayed. Because there's so little of it being portrayed. People are distracted by all kinds of things. And so we have a responsibility to invite people to a table. Maybe it's our table at home, but eventually we hope it's a table that Jesus sets, right? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to come and uh, proclaim this message. Whatever's good, Father, whatever is said rightly, and is, I, I pray that you would just uh, bless that. And whatever I've said incorrectly or wrongly, because sometimes we humans, we just don't get it right. We think we have it right, but we don't. So whatever's wrong, Lord, I just pray that you remove that. And Lord, I ask that you would give increase to uh, this kingdom building process we're involved in here that you're leading us in. And I pray that more people would want to sit at the table and want to dine with us as we dine with you and that we would understand that life is happening around your table. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.